0: Paul, my pleasure.
1: This is going to be the interview with Ray Renati. Aha! Uh-huh.
0: Hey, it worked! Aha! Uh-huh. Like magic!
1: The man himself! Oh, there you are. Okay. This is terrific. Yeah, such great sound. Terrific sound. It's recording. Okay. Is it free? Pardon? Is it free? Yeah, this is free. Oh, great. Shall we start, Ray? I'll do a little, I'll Very do a little well. introduction. Yeah. And, then, and that will include saying what it's all going to be about. You can take everything on the run.
0: Okay, I'll do my best.
1: Ray Renati, welcome to the first of a new series entitled The Interview. Yeah. An interview with some of the most interesting people I have ever met in my life, or some of the most interesting people that some of the most interesting people I have met have ever met.
0: Well, thank you. I, I'm not sure I understood all that, but it sounds really good.
1: It means it's the very first in a series way. <laughs> I, I don't want you to think you're a guinea pig, but let me tell you what the purpose of the interview is. Okay. The, the purpose of the interview is to introduce you to people who don't know you at all. There like
0: are 99.9% of the globe. So we have a yes.
1: big captive audience. Great. And, you know, as far as I know, none of the people who were at Davos this year know you. We've got a mixture of people who were at Davos and people who are, oh, Guatemala, China, Australasia. So we got quite a good mixture of potential interest here. Okay. Secondly, what is
0: Davos? What is Davos?
1: Davos is oh, it's the place where the great and the good get together to discuss the future of the world. It's a place Ah, where where Donald Trump didn't go this year.
0: Oh, that yes, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's also the second purpose of the interview is to delve into the person you are and the person you are becoming. Got it. There are going to be a number of sections in the in the interview, and just to give you an overview. It'll range from where you live, what kind of job you do, what kind of people you interact with, what kind of causes you have, what you support. We'll have a quick fire series of questions, which are a separate thing altogether. Something about your spiritual side, something about your legacy. And at the very end, I'm going to ask you to ask me a question. And that's basically the structure. Ray, there are a few things I know about you already. In the interest of full disclosure for our audience, you and I have known each other for what? About three years uh, via the internet?
0: I believe so.
1: About three years, yeah. So we go back that far. A small segment of both of our lives. Very small. (laughs) The impression I have of you is that you're a complex person, a complex character and a complex personality. You are a professional actor, a, a director, you're a podcaster, a photographer, a father, a professional driver, a musician, a dog walker, a singer, a comedian. Uh, you uh, participated in I Faked My Own Death. Uh, you're, a, you're a Shakespeare lover and many other things about you, too many to mention. That's why I say you're a complex person with a good deal of history behind you.
0: Sounds good. All those things
1: are correct. All those things are on the list. Well, Ray, look, first of all, I'd like to talk about where you live. And the impression I have is that you live in Palo Alto in California, which is not all that far from San Francisco. That is the place that you've lived all your life. You have been uh, and lived for a short while in London in the UK, and I'm aware that you have lived for an even shorter time in uh, Mexico, and you may well have been living, and by living I mean sleeping overnight, in, uh, in a number of other places. <laughs> so so can, I start, can I start with the question, why on earth are you living in Palo
0: Alto? I'm, li- I'm living in Palo Alto because I, I met uh, my wife, uh, gosh, over 30 years ago, and she was living in Palo Alto, and that's where she wanted to stay. And so that's why we're living here. And I've always wanted to live. I, I-, I like Palo Alto. Palo Alto is sort of a-, a haven in the Bay Area. There are a lot of trees. Uh, the- it's a very liberal town. It has the ultimate weather the best weather in the in the bay area it's not too hot not too cold so i'm living here
1: so the reason you came to live in palo alto was because you wanted to accommodate what your wife wanted
0: yeah she wasn't my wife yet but uh yeah
1: yeah are you the kind of guy who thinks that a good way to a woman's heart is to live where she wants to live
0: absolutely Absolutely. <laughs> you know, what do they say? A, ha- a happy, happy wife is a happy marriage or something like that. What I forget the saying. And, and where Ray was the first place you ever lived in your life? Daly City, California. Well, actually, yeah, Daly City. I might have lived in San Francisco for a couple of months when I was a, an infant. But then my parents bought a house in Daly City, California. Are you familiar with that? Never heard of Daly City in my life. Where is it? It's just south of San Francisco on the ocean, and it's freezing cold almost all the time. The fog comes in. The the water in the ocean there is really cold. The fog rolls in, and it's as if you're living on the North Pole.
1: And how far is Daly City from Palo Alto?
0: About a half an hour.
1: And is the water in Palo Alto just as cold as the water in Daly
0: City? No, because the water here is uh, to the the east, and it's this part of the San Francisco Bay, and it's the southern part of the San Francisco Bay, and it's shallow. And by the time it gets there, it's pretty warm. On to my west are mountains. But those mountains sort of get lower and lower as you get towards San Francisco, and that's where Daly City is. And so there's nothing blocking the fog, the freezing cold fog coming from the ocean here, which is really cold. And Daly City is right there at the vortex of the San Francisco Bay and the ocean. And the mixture of the hot, the semi-warm air and the freezing air from the the ocean makes a very foggy and cold place. (laughs) Wow.
1: Why? Why did you start your life living in Daly City?
0: Because my parents chose that. I didn't really have much say in it. I was just a small babe.
1: Well, but, let, me push, let me push it a little further. Okay. Why did your parents bring you there? Why? why? I'm, wanting, oh, oh, because I'm wanting to go back in your life.
0: My, my, <laughs> my, my grandparents, my mother's parents lived in the outer mission in san francisco which is on the border of san francisco and Daly city and my mother being from an italian family you know you have to always be close to your parents so it wasn't far and it was affordable they could buy a house in 1960 that's why that's why
1: yeah so were they part of the flower power generation then? oh
0: no oh no 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 they came a little before that, and it's interesting because um, when I was a kid, when I was five, six years old, the flower power generation was in full force. My, if my memory serves me correctly, and I believe it does, most people made a choice whether they were going to be flower Power or you know, crew cuts and uh, hold the line, toe the line, uh, good citizens, quote unquote. And my parents went that direction. So the hippies were all the weirdos. And my parents, my dad had a crew cut and horn rim glasses, and my mom looked like uh, Leave uh, Leave It to Beavers' mother. There you go.
1: Did your dad have a
0: crew cut because he was also in the military? <laughs> he he was he was in the navy before that. He was sort of a spy. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but that was so long ago. He worked. Um, he list It was between uh, the. It was between, it was after Korea, no, wait a minute, yeah, after the Korean War and before Vietnam really started, he listened to the Japanese give Morse code, yeah, and they would intercept the Morse code from the Japanese, and he would just type it out all day.
1: So he was, uh, could he possibly have been the U.S. equivalent of the um, the Enigma machine, uh, the... uh, uh, the work that went on in the UK to break the, uh, the codes <laughs> that the Germans were using. Was he a code breaker?
0: Maybe, maybe, maybe. He won't, if he was, he, you know, he couldn't tell me. He'd have to kill me probably. So I don't
1: know. Tell me <laughs> other, other places you've lived in your life. And remember, oh,
0: boy. I've, well, so I've
1: find uh, other places you live as places where you have
0: slept overnight. Oh, well, there's a lot of places I've slept overnight, but we won't get into all that. We moved to Sunnyvale, California in 1968, I think, which is down the peninsula from San Francisco because, and it's called Sunnyvale because it's sunnier. That's why my parents moved there. My dad got in a car accident in Daly City due to this heavy fog, and the guy in the other car got hurt really badly. It was nobody's fault. But the fog is so heavy, sometimes you just can't see anything. So my parents got tired of the cold and the fog and the fact that this accident happened and they moved to Sunnyvale. They bought a house down in Sunnyvale. Have you heard of Sunnyvale?
1: No, no. People in, <laughs> people in, cr- Europe, people in Europe, and I'm in Cork in Ireland,
0: haven't heard of Sunnyvale for some weird reason. Well, it's one of the big Silicon Valley towns now. There are a lot of Silicon Valley companies in Sunnyvale. When I moved there, when I was a kid, it was mostly apricot orchards. Were apricot computers there? You mean Apple? No, apricot. <laughs> I'd never heard of apricot computers. Oh,
1: right, right, right.
0: And by <laughs> that, the way... Was that a real thing?
1: Yes, 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 oh. absolutely. It goes back a while. We'll come on to your knowledge of computers in a little while, but I just wanted to say that it's a, it's a lovely coincidence to realize that I was in California in summer 68, and so were you.
0: Yeah, but I was a little boy.
1: Well, I wasn't very much older. I was just I down the road in Santa Monica, but this is all about you. So now <laughs> That's tell a
0: six-hour six drive from here.
1: I also have the impression you have lived in London, England. Now, yeah. why were you living in London, England?
0: Because I wanted to study at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. I I went there and I did it. And uh, it was wonderful. One of the most wonderful times of my life. I love London. I love just being immersed in theater all day. Learning theater, reading Shakespeare, acting Shakespeare, going to plays at the Globe and and at the, the Old Vic and all over London, you know. Wonderful.
1: Where did you live while you were staying in London? Which part of London did you live
0: in? I I lived near the school. Oh, gosh. uh, Like a uh, half a mile away. What's that called? Uh, I forget what the the area is called. I lived in a... a, The the impression I have is that it's
1: near King's Cross.
0: Yes, yes. Near King's Cross. Yeah. Yes. Right near King's Cross. Not far. I lived in some really... I lived in student housing... I loved it. I, I had a room, a toothbrush, a plate, a fork, a spoon, a knife, my computer, and a, and a couple of changes of underwear. And then, you know, it was a simple life. And I really liked it. I really liked it. it and it was, I wasn't young.
1: Why did you decide to leave the United States and travel across to the UK when you must have had other options?
0: Well, um, I had uh, I've been in acting for many years, but I had just re- had recently joined the um, the Stage Actors Union, and I felt like I needed some, you know, something legitimate to put on my resume. I I don't have a degree in theater. I felt it was a good excuse to get some classical training. That was that was that was sort of the. The impetus for it—that wasn't the only reason—but that gave me a good reason to tell my wife <laughs> and to tell myself. Yeah, but I was in my forties. Why I did, did you
1: come? Why did you come to the UK
0: alone? Uh, well, there was nobody else who wanted to go with me. Uh, I had uh, known a couple of other people who had gone to Rada from here, where I live, and uh, I admire them. And they had a lot of great things to say about it. So, uh, you know, I talked to some people I knew. No, uh, you know, my family couldn't come out there with me. I just decided to do it. I
1: have the impression that you have lived in a few other places. Why have you moved around so much?
0: Well, most of the places I've lived or been in the Bay Area, I lived in Berkeley and Oakland for a while. And that's because I went to the University of California at Berkeley. And then I stayed there because I got a job there. Yeah, and then I've, I've lived in San Jose because I got a job in San Jose in sales. and most, it's, Mostly it's been in the Bay Area, you know, a short time in London. And then I've been to France a, a lot because my wife is French. So we used to go once or twice a year for a few weeks. I haven't lived in Mexico, although I've been to Mexico many, many times. I love yeah. Mexico. I love Mexico.
1: In the interest of full declaration, I knew that you'd <laughs> been to Mexico because you and I discussed your holiday that you had in Mexico at once. Yeah. If I remember rightly, is my memory right, that you traveled inland almost like up a river into a jungle?
0: Yeah, we did. You're right. So we were in Puerto Vallarta. We stayed in Puerto Vallarta. We got an Airbnb in the, that was in sort of the middle of a a working-class area of Puerto Vallarta. It was wonderful. You have to really lock up your stuff. But at night, the people come outside and they barbecue together, the whole neighborhood, the kids are playing. People are just having a blast. That's why when Trump says it's an asshole country or, you know, these things, he doesn't know what he's talking about because I'm telling you, um, these people these people know how to have a good time yeah we took a we took a water taxi in Puerto Vallarta. You can get these water taxis south of Puerto Vallarta. and there are these little villages that you can only get to either through like by donkey or water taxi and uh we got out of our water taxi and we were with we were with a guy a friend of my wife's who does live there half the year he's from Canada, and we walked up this river like wading in the river about a mile, and all of a sudden on our left was a restaurant in a house. And it was the best Mexican food I've ever had in my life. And we were the only ones there. I don't know how they stay in business. (laughs) It was incredible. It was just incredible. I'll never forget it. Yeah.
1: Ray, I'd like to move on now to the job that you do. All right. And talk about your job. Now, as I said at the beginning, the impression I have is that You do a number of jobs at the same time and they range from actor, director and being a professional driver and also being a professional photographer and a number of other jobs, including, and I will call it a job, being a father. Can I ask you, why do you do these kind of jobs?
0: Well, I <clears throat> I was uh, in sales and I ended up in high-tech sales for about 15 years. I, it never really suited me. I'm not really one to schmooze with those who live for money and things like this. And I never really fit in. I was good at sales, especially the final sales job I had. I became VP of sales for a software company, and that wasn't your typical company. But then they were purchased by a larger company. I just decided, that's it. I'm done with it. This isn't really what I want to do anyway. So at that point, I decided to fully get into the acting, which I had been doing since I was in seventh grade. And I, I, that's what I've been doing mostly since then. That was over 20 years ago. You know, I live in San Francisco. So it's ideally, if you're in California and you want to be able to be on TV or movies, you need to go to L.A. But I have kids, and it really was never something that was practical for us. So I do a lot of theater. San Francisco is a huge theater town.
1: And tell me, why did you start doing theater at the age of seven and then keep it up at seventh some... grade? Uh, oh, yeah. Why the, yeah it... there, was
0: a, there was a play. Um, you know, I was a quiet sort of nerdy kid in 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 middle school and I got beat up all the time <laughs> I just I I wanted to try something that made me feel I, I took it I took the I took the theater class there and I really enjoyed it I tried out for the lead role and I got got it all I remember I was on stage one day and it was this one of these kids melodramas and uh <laughs> I had to wear a mustache you know like a one of those Dudley Do Right mustaches with the handlebars and stuff, but nobody told me how to put it on. I didn't know about spirit gum and all this, so I just took a piece of double-sided tape and I put it on on my upper lip. I, I remember one of the performances. I was out there and it started falling off, and it was hanging down. And I and I looked out and the and the the parents were just. I could still see them like laughing so hard and doubled over in laughter because I'm still trying to play this part all seriously, you know, this seventh grade kid. And I got so screwed up, I switched to the wrong scene and they started laughing harder. And, <laughs> and <then laughs> that, that, I guess that's what it was. But I was never sure if they were laughing at me or with me. And for a long time, it was my, that memory was my motivation to really, learn my lines and make sure I knew everything well. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it just stayed with me for years, you know, yeah. So that's an actor, but
1: then not satisfied, let's say with being an actor, why did you become a director?
0: Because I started a theater company with some people about 16 years ago. I had all kinds of ideas of how, about how things could be done better. And I had a friend who was a sort of kind of person who could influence people to do anything she wanted, you know. Uh, and she convinced the, the woman in charge to, to uh, let me direct. It's, it's not easy to get into directing. People really need to trust you and i knew i could do it it's my personality i notice every little tiny thing and how things could have been done better and i would you know i would tell my friend this and she goes you need to direct i mean you're, so you you would be amazing and so i started directing and i just kept on directing cuz my first attempt was really successful and so i've directed uh, you know so i've been directing plays for i guess about 16 years yeah
1: the most famous play i think i've i associate with you or certainly the most dramatic, is a play in which you as the director placed the key characters in a boxing ring.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: why on earth did you put people in a well-known play in a boxing
0: ring? (laughs) Well, that was A View from the Bridge by Arthur Miller. It had just been done on Broadway on a blank stage, and I didn't see the production. I really wish I had. I read the play many, many times, And I understood why the director had put it on on, on a blank stage. The the play, the scenes from uh, View from the Bridge sort of morph into in and out play. It was, and we had a boxing ring, a bench, and two chairs. And then we had um, some flats in the back for entry and exit from, uh, you know, doorways. And that was it. Worked out wonderfully. That was one of my favorite. And we had a great lighting designer, which was really important. Because she had to be able to designate place uh, with lights. Because if you don't have actual places, you need to be a, you, it helps to have a good lighting designer who can put the audience in different places, you know, with the lighting. Can, can
1: I ask you, in relation to acting in film, why did you uh, play a part in I Faked My Own Death?
0: <laughs> well, that was a... a a series that was on the Discovery Channel, I think. And there was a production company, I don't know if they're still here, that did many of the of these reenactment shows that were on the Discovery Channel. And my agent just sent me to the audition, and I guess got the part. Yeah. So I faked my own dad, yeah. I was also <laughs> in a, uh, a show that's super popular in Japan called... Um, the World's Astonishing News. And it's, a, it's about, it's true stories about people, usually in the United States, who do these ridiculous things. And I played this doctor, and it was true, who um, who had gotten his wife's daughter pregnant or something, and he didn't want to get caught. So he put a, he put a tube in his arm with somebody else's blood. So when they took the blood out to test the DNA, he passed. And so they had to build me this prosthetic, arm and i had to <laughs> it looked so real that when i <laughs> took the blood out myself i freaked out because i mean it actually looked like i was taking blood out of my own arm uh but of course i wasn't it was a tube in my arm just like he had done although he had inserted it into in his arm i just had like makeup on top of it. yeah they had those 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 um reenactment shows were a lot of them were based here in San Francisco for some reason for a long time. Well,
1: there are two other jobs, Ray, which I have the impression you've done, and one of them is a professional photographer, and yeah. the other is a professional driver. Mm-hmm. So, why would you like to talk about one of those?
0: Well, I mean, I can get the professional driver right out of the way quickly. I mean, I'm in the um, I'm in the 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 hometown, well, San Francisco. Uh, the the home bases of both Lyft and Uber. And so I just signed up to be Lyft and Uber driver. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a way to make some extra money and meet, meet interesting people and have conversations with people that I normally wouldn't have. That's, my, that's what I really like about it is when I meet, when I meet people that, uh, that like to talk. I, I meet some fascinating people
1: yeah, what, why do you like meeting strangers?
0: God, I have no idea. I really love it, though. Why do I like it? I Because it, it, it shows me two things. One, how similar we all are. And two, also how different we all are. <laughs> I like to hear about other people's experiences. And I also... I also, it, it, in some strange way, it's if a person is talkative, you can have a really meaningful conversation with a stranger in a car. I, I can't explain it. It's Sometimes more meaningful than you'll have with a friend for years and years and years. Uh, it's it's astonishing, but the way people are, I guess you know, it's safe, safe and for tell, people. Tell
1: me, why do you like? taking headshots of people which show them being very relaxed, looking straight at the camera with a many times a slight smile on their face.
0: <laughs> well, those are further, you know, yeah. So I, I, I've loved uh, photography since I was a young, young boy and figured, well, how, can I make any money doing this? And I know a lot of actors since I'm in that world and every actor needs a headshot. So it just kind of, I, I said, I'm going to do this, you know, like 20 years ago. I've taken headshots of many, many people. And it's sort of like the driving. It's not so much the pictures. You, you kind of bond with the people and you have interesting conversations. And I have a lot of, I have a lot of fun relaxing the person, getting them to smile, getting them to uh, be themselves. It's really hard sometimes. You would think actors would be able to be really comfortable in front of a camera. Maybe they are in front of a video camera when they're doing a scene for a movie or whatever. But when you stick a regular just photo camera in front of their face, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's a challenge sometimes to get them to, uh, to be themselves. And, and I really enjoy it.
1: I've noticed that most of the headshots you've done have been headshots of women. Why do you like photographing women so much?
0: They're the ones who come to me most often. Uh, it's, not, it's not so much that I chose them. There are way more women actors and models than there are men. So that's one of the reasons. Many, many more. It's, it, it's actually more difficult for women to get acting jobs because there are so many women, female actors. I, I think it's just because of that. Yeah.
1: And look, just one more aspect of your, uh,
0: the jobs you do.
1: Why do you work at all? What's the key reason why you bother
0: working? (laughs) Wow. Um, Well, it's just my nature. I can't stop. Like I've had our financial planner ask me when I was going to retire. The concept of that has no meaning to me. I mean to me life without interesting work is not worth living. I don't know. I shouldn't say that maybe. I mean if if it came to the point where I couldn't work, I'd figure out I'd figure out how to keep things interesting. But to me, a big part of life is meaningful work. Without meaningful work, I get so bored. I mean, I get so bored. You ask my wife, man. If I don't have like an acting job coming up, which I don't right now, <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm not. I, I I get a little neurotic. Honestly, I, I I have to have something challenging to work on, or I I I get bored. I guess I don't know. I've always been that way since I was a little boy. I drove my mother crazy. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Of course it does, of course it does.
1: Let's let's talk about the power of attraction, Ray.
0: Okay. Now,
1: you're a very attractive guy, is the impression I have. You have, for example, attracted uh, somebody to marry you and remain married to you for quite a long time. You've attracted, I think, uh, two children. There may be more or fewer. I'm not sure. But you've attracted some children to remain attached to you and uh, you have affection for you. You've, you've, you've attracted quite a lot of playwrights, people who run theatres, actors. You've attracted a number of people in the sports world at uh, one time, and. I've also got a strong impression that on the Internet, you have attracted a number of people via social audio, via Twitter, via podcasting, via YouTube. Now, tell me, why do you think you attract the people that you attract?
0: Um, you know, I sometimes I wonder because like if I listen to my own podcast, I can't stand it. I, I listen to myself, and I hear all of the little idiosyncrasies and the mistakes and the stumbling over words, and uh, I gotta turn it off. Why would anyone listen to this? <laughs> I think I'm just—I am who I am. I'm—I per- think it's because I'm just uh, genuine. I, genuine. I don't have a big wall. Like what you see is what you get with me, and I think people sense that. That's my guess.
1: Tell me, just to delve in a little bit, why do you think your wife has stayed with you for so long?
0: (laughs) Um, I think we genuinely love each other. And we've had hard times because, uh, you know, we have have two kids who are special needs. And, you know, uh, I think it's just... um, I think, I think we just, gosh, I, I don't know. She asks herself that question quite often. There's a commitment to, to work through the difficult times that we both have, and we've made it through them over and over. And I think the more often you do, the more confident you are in the relationship and the more respect you have for each other as people who can weather the storms. Yeah, I guess I'd say that.
1: Why do you think people have been attracted to you on the internet?
0: Um, well, like for my photography, I, I think I just take interesting pictures and... Um, Is that on Instagram? That Yeah, Instagram, on- yeah. Yeah. I also, yeah. I have... I, you know, I know I meet a lot of people in my business. You know, being an actor, I meet a lot of people. So I have sort of a sarcastic sense of humor that some people like. I'm sort of of well-known in the Bay Area in certain circles. So people, I think, want to, you know, stay somewhat close. I guess, you know, something like that. The
1: the impression I have, Ray, is that, other people are more attracted to you than you are to yourself.
0: <laughs> I'm working on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I grew up in a, um, in a very old school, old country sort of uh, Italian Catholic home where things were kind of rough, let's just say. There was not a lot of um, an emphasis of building self-esteem and stuff like that, like there is now. Or there was then, too, in certain circles. But, yeah, probably, probably that has a lot to do with it. I I like myself a lot more than I used to. That I know. Yeah. So you're probably right, and I think people sense that too. And that doesn't that doesn't work in my favor. That that is one thing that doesn't work in my favor. Like for instance, sometimes in auditions or or things like that, because people want you to walk into the room acting like you're the you know you are the thing, you know. (laughs) And uh, I often don't give that first impression. I'm sort of self-effacing, but you know, this last audition I just went on. I was thinking about what you just said right there. And so I decided, what would Hugh Jackman do when he walks into a room for uh, Mamma Mia? And that's what I tried to do. I said, I'm going to pretend I'm Hugh Jackman. And it had a great effect. I got called back like right after my initial audition, which never happened. So I think I'm going to keep doing that.
1: And tell me why. (laughs) I'm really struck by what you say, that you you like yourself more now than you used to. Why do you like yourself more now?
0: Uh, lots of therapy <laughs> over the decades I have to say that 's why uh also just age uh i'm i 'm more uh you know accept, less judgmental of others and myself than I used to be, just because I understand human frailty and and all that more than I did when I was young and more accepting of it.
1: Is there a character in Shakespeare who you remind yourself of in that way?
0: Hmm. Well, that's a great question. Yes. As a matter of fact, I went to go see a a National Theater live production of Anthony and, and Cleopatra last night at the theater it was a play i didn't know really well and i don't know why people don't do it all the time because it because it is an incredible play and i in the character of anthony uh <laughs> i found myself you know he's more much more extreme than me but i found myself really empathizing with him a lot do you know the play no i don't yeah well he he had a lot of self-esteem issues, and, and a lot of them, a lot of his self-esteem was based upon what other people thought about him as a leader, like almost all of his self-esteem. That's the way it was portrayed in this production. Then he realized he was mistaken, but it was too late because he had stabbed himself, you know, in typical Shakespeare fashion. But, uh, uh, and he died. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. I, I after seeing that i like i'll say anthony and anthony, anthony and cleopatra Lovely. although i'm not you know i i'm not a, i'm not a a king and a leader of armies but uh and cleopatra is beyond my grasp <laughs> oh don't let my wife hear that honey you are better than cleopatra
1: Ray, I also have the impression moving moving to the, the to the things the movements and the the causes that you support mm-hmm. i have a um, built up the impression that you are you have a very big commitment to the quality of life within the united States that the quality of public uh, behavior the quality of public discourse, the quality of the conditions within which people live is something that matters to you. Why do these things matter to you so much?
0: Why do they matter to me so much? You know, I have been this way my entire life so to answer the question why I'm not sure I can tell you that even as a little boy I was very interested in the Vietnam War Uh, I remember watching it on the news every night and it was a war that was on television and it left a huge impression on me I just couldn't believe the death and the destruction and seeing the bodies put in the trucks and the that the, every night they would have a graphic up with the body count, the number wounded, the number killed, and you know it's it was just horrific, and I just I, I couldn't make any sense of it. And then also in the Bay Area here we had the uh, we had all the riots and um, hippies everywhere, which I thought was really cool. And then uh, Watergate came around, and I was plastered to my television set at the age of ten watching the Watergate hearings mostly John Dean getting questioned day after day, after day, after day. I just, I I guess I, I, I had this, I had this desire for people to get along. Can't we all just get along (laughs) and love one another better? And uh, I didn't see it. You know, I kept seeing evidence of it not happening. And I, I found it both frustrating and very attractive to watch because it, it just astounded me, and it's happening again. And I'm reacting in the same way. I mean, what's going on in the United States now is so similar to, to what happened. I remember during Watergate. It's a complete waste of energy and time, and uh, because once Trump is out of there, it's all it's all. I'm assuming we don't get somebody like him again. It's just all going to go back to normal again. you know. Um, why can't we have another Barack Obama who is this fair-minded, of course he made mistakes, but he had this wonderful family and you, you could tell they just were there to try to make the world a better place. And I just don't feel that that's what's going on right now. And I find it very frustrating. Very frustrating.
1: And why are you so much in favor of diversity and equality and justice and and an ethical way of living why, why are
0: you so strongly on that camp because nobody chooses who they are you are born who you are you were born with white skin or brown skin wide eyes or narrow eyes <laughs> your intelligence or non-intelligence, you are just born into this world and you have no responsibility about, you have no say in it. So to judge a person based on their color or their religion or anything is absurd to me. And when I see people doing it, I think it's absolute stupidity. And also beyond that, I love diversity. I love being around people who are of other cultures, especially people who are of non-Caucasian cultures because they're so different. Even in the United States, if you are lucky enough to uh, to work on some project or something with a, with a number of African American people, it is so much fun. It's a different culture, their way of expressing themselves, uh, the things they find funny, <laughs> I'm constantly entertained, like, when I get to do that. And I, I, when people do things, uh, make policy, when they, when they, when they make judgments, uh, whether uh, they're, they're overt or sneaky about people of other colors, creeds, religions, I hate it because it, it, it's either born of ignorance or hate or fear. But then I realized I can't do much about it. And that's what, that's what bothers me. I can't, you cannot change people's minds. You absolutely cannot change people's minds. It ha- they have to want their minds changed.
1: Ray, you're very familiar with the South Pacific. And you're also very familiar with the song in South Pacific. You have to be carefully taught. Yeah. Now, why do you love that song so much? <laughs>
0: Well, because I think a lot of these a lot of these things come from your childhood when you are being taught. Some kids are prescient enough to perhaps um, go against something they've been taught that is prejudicial or whatever. But a lot of a lot of people don't have that capacity, and so if you're not carefully taught, it just hatred and and bigotry and fear just get passed on from generation to generation. Yeah.
1: And another cause, Ray, that I associate you with is animal rights. You're um, very keen on treating dogs well. Could you tell me why do dogs matter to you so much?
0: Well, uh, okay. My first memory as a child my very first memory is when we got our first dog it was a poodle her name was babette and i was just god i probably was three years old and i was sitting i can still see it i was sitting in the bottom bunk of a bunk bed in my room and it was dark and my it was either my mother or my father i can't remember came in with a little animal and i still remember my saying Myself saying, oh, a kitty cat. And then uh, they corrected me, said, no, it's a doggy." And then they put the little puppy right next to me on my bed, and it just sat there, and I petted it for what seemed like hours. (laughs) So I think that was the moment when I began loving animals. And then I had a goldfish that my dad endearingly named Fang, which I thought was hilarious. And so every day, I, I would watch Fang swim around. And then I raised the pigeons. I had like seven. I started out with four and ended up with seventy pigeons. And then my brother and I, my brothers and I, got a hold of a tortoise. And we had snakes that we would catch and take care of. And we just loved animals. And I, I don't know why. Let's see. Why are you so fond of your own dog? Oh, my gosh, because our dog, I've had a number of dogs. This dog is uh, special, and everyone says that, but this dog, she's 11 and a half years old. You, people, when we tell people that, they can't believe it. She still seems like she's like two years old. She has endless energy. She's extremely intelligent, and she keeps getting smarter. She and I have, can talk. I'll tell her not to bark because she likes to bark, and she'll stop barking. And she would just start going, and I go back, and we have these little, like, conversations like this. And we both know what we're telling each other. It's really, it's incredible. (laughs) I know that
1: sounds crazy, but it's true. Yeah. And her name, Ray, is what?
0: Foxy. And now tell me, why, why is she called Foxy? Because that's what the breeder named her, and we just kept it. She she was a uh, she's an Australian Labradoodle, but she's a small one. Usually they're huge. She's only like fifteen pounds, and the the breeder named her her Foxy, California Foxy. So we just kept the name, partly because it wasn't really fully our dog for about three years because we had this arrangement with the breeder. She was she the the breeder knew she was special, so she was a breeding dog. She had like three litters. But the third litter, only one dog appeared, and it died, so that was it. They stopped after that. So she had two full litters.
1: yeah Ray, the next part of our interview is not psychoanalysis, so I okay. just want you to feel relaxed
0: about it. So I shouldn't um, lie down on the couch here. It and is,
1: just... yeah i'm gonna okay. I'm gonna give you a a lot of quick decisions to make, All right between you know a or b right okay so uh, you don't have to justify any of your answers let's just start off with in the following way and these all are i give you a choice of two words and you tell me which one you chose you choose all right okay? all right average or alone alone hearing or seeing? seeing Feeling or touching? Touching. Salt or pepper? Pepper. Cream or jam? Cream. Reagan or Nixon? Nixon. Hip-hop or ballet? Hip-hop. Jumping or dancing? Dancing. Abraham Lincoln or Nelson Mandela?
0: Nelson Mandela. Grizzly Bear or Rattlesnake?
1: Grizzly Bear. Running or Climbing? Climbing. Movie or Stage? Stage. Limelight or Composer? Composer. Here or Now? Now. Clockwise or Anti-Clockwise? Anti-Clockwise. Wisdom or Courage? Courage. Cain or Abel? Abel. Poetry or energy? Energy. Up or down? Up. Wyoming or Hawaii? Wyoming. Russia or China? Russia. Venus or Mars? Mars. Egyptians or Romans? Romans. Football or ice hockey? Ice hockey. Chess or bridge? Chess. Men or women?
0: Women. Thank you. Now what? Does, it, does that, does that, do, do right.
1: I? That's <laughs> the, um, that, they're, the, they're today's. Now what that, what that means, well, it'll be um, submitted to the Institute of Psychoanalysis in Vienna. Yes. Uh, for analysis. Oh, Good. Your, uh, your psychoanalytic DNA will come back.
0: Oh, thank God. It's like Ancestry.com or uh, one of those things, right? You yeah.
1: Why were you so surprised to find out that you had Irish blood in you?
0: Because I didn't. I, 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 I have, a, I have the, the only person that I thought could be. I, well, let me, let me back up. My father's mother was from Leeds, England. Obviously, she could have had Irish blood, but my grandmother, one of my mother's mother, her maiden name was O'Lottie, O-L-R-I-I, O-O-L-A-R-I, and she said it was because they had immigrated from Ireland and from O'Leary, O'Leary, or and I think she was right. <laughs> um, so I was just surprised. Uh, you know, sometimes these, these stories, you know, they get passed down and people don't have any concrete evidence, but it just goes from generation to generation, maybe for a couple hundred years. And she was probably right. Why did you have do the DNA test? Oh, just for fun. I it was just for fun. You know what the funny thing is? You know, as they get more data, they narrow things down. They narrow it down. And uh, on the latest iteration of this, I came out 40% French. That sort of encompasses northern Italy too, so you know, because my last name is Italian. But my wife, who is a French citizen and lived in France for half her life, is only 20% French. (laughs) Isn't that great?
1: Yeah, yeah, so okay, let's go, let's go spiritual, Ray. All right, I the one of the impressions I have of you is that you are a a spirited, uh, a spirited person you are. You are a guy full of spirit, both high spirits and low spirits. That you believe in a God, and that you grew up as a quite a religious person. Can I ask you why you are a deeply spiritual person?
0: I think it's, be, I, I, I've always, I, I, there's the big question of existence. Who are we? Why are we here? What is the universe? What are we? These things have always echoed in my mind and still do. And I, it leads me to being spiritual because I don't know the answer. And yet I, I keep sensing there's this, overall truth that I will that I just can't put my finger on, but once in a while I get a, a glimpse of, I suppose. Um you know, I was raised Catholic in a, in a very Catholic family. I've gone back and forth to the Catholic Church, but I have trouble with the Catholic Church as it is right now with all the scandal and uh and also when I was in college At Cal Berkeley, I went to a very liberal Catholic church run by the Paulist Fathers, which is a very small group of priests here in in the United States. And they're so liberal and so accepting of anybody. And uh, it's hard to find anything equivalent to that in other parishes, other Catholic parishes. (laughs) And so I was kind of spoiled by that. Um, And so I've, I've had trouble... Being Catholic, but I, 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 I'm sort of more of a Buddhist now, I guess, or a Hindu, <laughs> if you want to. I mean, I, I actually participate in sort of a a group that's uh, Hindu in origin. I meditate a lot, stuff like that.
1: Why do you meditate a so lot?
0: Every day I meditate. Why? It's it's it helps me have a better sense of my of who I am, I sometimes actually get the feeling after you meditate for a long time, if you keep doing it, you can really quiet your mind. You get good at not letting your mind wander, and you get this sense of being part, of the universe <laughs> I don't want this to sound crazy but it's as if you are everything and everything is you I can't it now I don't walk around feeling like that all day or nor, nor do I feel that way every time I meditate but you you have this sense that um, nothing's permanent it's all part of this big giant thing that we really don't understand and I am just one little piece of that you know it gives me perspective it gives me peace yeah, I guess and, I'd say that. And, and some control too over my thoughts. Like I, 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 you get better at concentrating. You get better at uh, deciding what's important and what isn't.
1: And the impression I have, Ray, is that you're a man full of wonder. You are a wanderer, a person who wonders about things. Why, why are you so full
0: of wonder? I always wonder that myself. Last night when I was watching this this film, I you know, I went I went into the movie theatre. Here is here is the opportunity to see two of our greatest actors act out one of this this great masterpiece, Anthony and Cleopatra, by perhaps the greatest playwright of all time and perhaps one of the greatest theatre companies of all time, the National Theatre in London. And I look in the audience and there's it's all like like thirty people over 75 years old, you know, luckily my gray hair matched them. There's like no young people. There were a couple. And I felt like, wow, nobody cares anymore. And, and I, and I watched this play and I was in wonder and I'm thinking why, especially in the second act, when things came to, 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 to its penultimate point and the actors seemed to transform into something, uh, it, it, I, I'm in the wonder of the human spirit. And, and I actually one, found myself wondering why I found that, find that so completely interesting and, and, and why it consumes me. And it does. And I don't know the answer. I just – I don't know how to answer your question. It just does. It just does. And I, I need more of it. And, I, and, I, and the more I get of art that does that to me, the happier I am.
1: So well, the impression I'm getting there is that you're somebody who can live with the discomfort of not knowing. Why yeah. are you able to do this?
0: Be, because it gives me a sense that there are a lot of things that, that are much bigger uh, than me, and when I, when I uh, much more important than me, much more universal than just my little world and it puts things in perspective, I guess. And it also allows, allows, when I can can feel, empathize with a piece of art or actors on a stage or in a film, I feel I'm connected to them and then to the rest of the world in a way that I can't quite put my finger on, but leaves me with a sense of awe. Let's. Did let I answer it, your question?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a great answer, Ray. Okay, okay. It's great it's, uh, you know I wonder at your answer, and that's the great thing. Okay. Let, let me let me just bring it together now uh, towards the end. That uh, your legacy, you you've you you give the impression to me that you're not finished yet. That there is uh, more work to do. That. Uh, and that you have been creating all your life something that may—I think you wanted to live after you. I think you want your life to be of some consequence. So <laughs> the impression I have is that you are an ambitious guy, and you're keen to leave
0: something behind you. Why is that? Because this, the thought of death scares. Doesn't. I, I, I always am angry at, the, at death, the fact that people die. I, I don't understand it. Everything dies. I don't understand the, 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 the strangeness of it. And I realize that it's just because we're human and we have consciousness that we even contemplate it. But the fact that you can be here and then one day be gone – as if you were put under permanent anesthesia, is something that just kind of freaks me out, honestly. As I get older, I, like you say, I find myself thinking about the things that I can do that will keep me around longer after I'm gone. <laughs> so I've actually been thinking about writing a musical. I want to write a musical about, I have a relative who was a, an opera singer but he he created his own publicity, and he sang in. Uh, it was my my great grandmother's brother. He 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 rented out Carnegie Hall in New York City and created his own publicity and put on shows. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Lawrence, I, I want to write a musical about this guy, and 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 I feel like if I write something, maybe maybe it'll do. You know, it'll be I, it'll be uh, you know. Uh, it'll help, it'll be entertaining or whatever for people now. And then also it's on paper and it'll still be here when I'm gone.
1: (laughs) You know, you you realize, of course, the similarity between your grandmother's brother or whoever it was and uh, Florence Foster Jenkins.
0: Yes, I know. I know. It just, I I, I have the book. So if someone there was a woman who wrote a book partly about him and I found her and I talked to her. So I I ordered all the books. I have the books that he's mentioned in. He wrote a book in Italian and she said it was one of the best. And a lot of these, a lot of these opera singers apparently at the time wrote their own, wrote their like autobiographies and published them in Italy. And she said, she told me that his was the most interesting one that she read. But for me to get it, I think I have to go to Florence to the library and 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 it's probably an italian you know so i'm gonna have to probably go to florence photocopy the book if they'll let me and then and then uh you know transcribe it into english but i'm translating into english <laughs> yeah yeah wow yeah yeah flores florence foster jenkins hopefully he was a better singer than that <laughs> have you, did you see that movie with? I haven't seen the movie with Meryl Streep. I really want to see it. I have um I have the recording
1: of her singing. Oh, it's just horrible! Queen of the Night aria <laughs> in Carnegie Hall.
0: Yeah. Why do you think it's so horrible? Well, I mean, okay. Let me let me let me say i i I mean when you compare her technique to 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 great you know artists of the opera, uh, I mean, obviously she wasn't even close, but I, I, I the story though, is so endearing and so wonderful I, I love that I, lo- I love her for that. I love the fact that she did what she wanted to do, no matter what and didn't care what people thought, and just plowed forward anyway, you know i really love that i was more talking about the technique you know her singing technique i mean i mean she didn't even sing in tune really i mean you, you I know mean, that there's...
1: music you know that music don't you yeah right okay let me invite you to uh without any rehearsal just sing a bit of it
0: oh gosh like which one uh The one that Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh, I can't think of anything right now.
1: Okay, (laughs) I'll I'll give you the tune. Okay. Okay. I I do my own imitation of Florence Foster Jenkins. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Oh
0: yeah. (laughs) So you want me to do it like Florence Foster Jenkins? I
1: want you to do it as Ray Renati.
0: Oh God, it's going to be horrible. Okay, I'm not a soprano. Okay. (laughs)
1: Ray Renati I have one more thing to ask you to do. All right. I would like you to ask me a question. I'd like to know what is the question you'd like to ask me, and why would you like to know the answer?
0: Oh, okay. What do I want to ask you? Oh, oh boy. Uh, What is your favorite piece of fiction? And the reason I want to know is because I think that people's choice of uh, fiction is more telling about their personality than, than, than a lot of things can be. So, so, what, do you have a like a favorite novel or something that just that you read that just always stays with you?
1: I I, I have a few. This is the uh, difficulty being put on the spot. So let me. I'll get there. I'll get there in a minute. The the competitors are the brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, Middle March by George Eliot. Perfume by Patrick Suskind? I'm not sure. The Leopard by Lampedusa. Mm. So the easiest way I have to think about this, Ray, is that if I was going to a desert island, which one of those books would I take with me? Yes. By the way, I also have to throw in Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. I have to include Pride and
0: Prejudice. It, we, should I, the Jeopardy tune while pardon? we should do the uh, Jeopardy tune while you're thinking.
1: Do, 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 do. <laughs> well, okay. If, 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 okay, using the, using the idea that I, I'm going to go to the desert island and I'm only going to be able to take one book with me, I think I'm going to say The Brothers Karamazov.
0: I think you've told me that before. Oh, thank why goodness for consistency. Yeah, I, I remember you telling me that a couple of years ago. Why, why is that? Well,
1: it contains uh, not just a narrative and an interesting story, but it contains a huge dialogue, a huge philosophical dialogue, if I remember it rightly, about death and God and religion and, you know, big big questions and i i grew up a little like you as a i grew up a very religious person in a roman catholic family in ireland and i did all the things that you know you do uh, you know besides confession and communion i was an altar boy and i took it all very seriously then not to spend too long on it i i stopped being religious and uh, But I've always been really interested in religion. Will very, very, feel very comfortable listening to people elaborate their religious views uh, to me and uh, me inquire to learn about them. And, uh, you know, I'm now in the frame of mind in which I believe, you uh, know, which I, I will accept that anything can be believed by human beings. Anything at all. <laughs> yes i agree yeah so the the brothers to me it 's that philosophical um debate that it took me through as a reader. Now, I read it first when I was quite young uh, as a late teenager, maybe twenty at the at the latest you know it 's always stuck with me well i must say i've 've said to myself, I must read other dostoevsky books but i haven't yeah i'm gonna for it because of its depth of philosophy okay i i have to say that you have been a star of the first ever episode of the interview i can't thank you enough today if 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 a case of champagne arrives please take it in
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) If it doesn't arrive, well, you've been still a fantastic guest. I think you have introduced yourself to other people in a way that your spirit shines through, your love of life shines through, and that I can't think of anybody who wouldn't love to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you.
0: Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Enjoyed this. Thanks for uh, letting me be number one. Well, one last
1: thing, Ray, and uh, perhaps I should have, uh, yes, I'll do this a little earlier with other people. It may well be that you would be open to somebody contacting you, saying hello to you by some means or other. Is there a way that you would quite like people who listen to this to contact you in any way?
0: Sure. I mean, uh, they could send me an email, I guess. What would be the easiest? Uh, Just rayrenati at gmail.com. R-A-Y-R-E-N-A-T-I at gmail.com. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Ray, I can't thank you enough.
1: This is the end of the very first interview, a historic experience. Thank you very much.
0: You're very welcome, Paul. My pleasure. Nobody cares anymore and and I, and I watched this play, and I was in wonder and i 'm thinking why, especially in the second act when things came to to, to to its penultimate point, and the actors seemed to transform into something uh, it, it, i 'm in wonder of the human spirit and and I actually one found myself wondering why I found that find that so completely interesting and and, and why it consumes me and it does and I don't know the answer I just I don't know how to answer your question it just does it just does and I I need more of it and I and and the more I get of art that does that to me the happier I am
1: well the impression I'm getting there is that you're somebody who can live with the discomfort of not knowing why are you able to do this?
0: Be, because of, my mother was from Leeds, England. Obviously, she could have had Irish blood. But my grandmother, one of my mother's mother, her maiden name was Olari, O-L-R-I-I, O-O-L-A-R-I, And she said it was because they had immigrated from Ireland and from O'Leary. O'Leary. And I think she was right. <laughs> um, so I was just surprised. Uh, you know, sometimes these, these stories, you know, they get passed down and people don't have any concrete evidence, but it just goes from generation to generation, maybe for a couple hundred years. And she was probably right. Why did
1: you have do the DNA test?
0: Oh, just for fun. I was just for fun. You know what the funny thing is? You know, as they get more data, they narrow things down. They narrow it down. And uh, on the latest iteration of this, I came out 40% French. That sort of encompasses northern Italy too. So you know, because my last name is Italian, but my wife, who is a French citizen and lived in France for half her life, is only twenty percent French. (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. So
1: okay, let's go. Let's go spiritual, Ray. All right. I the one of the impressions I have of you is that you are a a spirited, uh, a spirited person, you are, you are a guy full of spirit, both high spirits and low spirits, that you believe in a God and that you grew up as a quite a religious person. Can I ask you why you are a deeply spiritual person?
0: I think it's, I've always, there's the big question of existence. Who are we? Why are we here? What is the universe? What are we? These things have always echoed in my mind and still do. And I, it leads me to being spiritual because I don't know the answer. And yet I, I keep sensing there's this, Overall truth that I will that I just can't put my finger on but once in a while. I get a a glimpse of I suppose Um, You know, I was raised Catholic in a very Catholic family I've gone back and forth to the Catholic Church, but I have trouble with the Catholic Church as it is right now with all the scandal and uh, And also when I was in college At Cal Berkeley, I went to a very liberal Catholic church run by the Paulist Fathers, which is a very small group of priests here in the United States. And they're so liberal and so accepting of anybody. And uh, it's hard to find anything equivalent to that in other parishes, other Catholic parishes. (laughs) And so I was kind of spoiled by that. Um, And so I've, I've had trouble being Catholic, but I, 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 I'm sort of more of a Buddhist now, I guess, or a Hindu. <laughs> if you want to, I mean, I, I actually participate in sort of a a group that's uh, Hindu in origin and I meditate a lot, stuff like that.
1: Why do you meditate a lot?
0: Every day I meditate. Why? It's, it's, it helps me have a better sense of my, of who I am, I sometimes actually get the feeling after you meditate for a long time, if you keep doing it, you can really quiet your mind. And you get good at not letting your mind wander, and you get this sense of being part of the universe <laughs> i don 't want this to sound crazy, but it 's as as if you are everything, and everything is you i can't it now i don't walk around feeling like that all day or nor, nor do I feel that way every time i meditate but you- you have this sense that um nothing's permanent it 's all part of this big, giant thing that we really don't understand, and I am just one little piece of that you know gives me perspective, gives me peace. Yeah. I guess it's and I'd say that. And, and some control too over my thoughts. Like I, I I you get better at concentrating, you get better at uh, deciding what's important and what isn't. And the impression
1: I have Ray is that you're a man full of wonder. You are a wonderer, a person who wonders about things. Why why are you so full of wonder?
0: I always wonder that myself. Last night, when I was watching this this film, I, you know, I went I went into the movie theater. Here is here is the opportunity to see two of our greatest actors act out one of this this great masterpiece, Anthony and Cleopatra, by perhaps the greatest playwright of all time, and perhaps one of the greatest theater companies of all time, the National Theater in London. And I look in the audience, and there's it's all like like thirty. People over 75 years old, you know, luckily my gray hair matched them. There's like no young people. There were a couple. And I felt like, wow, nobody cares anymore. And, and I, and I watched this play and I was in wonder and I'm thinking why, especially in the second act, when things came to to, to, to its penultimate point and the actors seemed to transform into something, uh, it, it, I, I'm in the wonder of the human spirit. And I actually one, found myself wondering why I found that, find that so completely interesting and, and, and why it consumes me. And it does. And I don't know the answer. I just I don't know how to answer your question. It just does. It just does. And I, I need more of it. And, I, and, I, and the more I get of art that does that to me, the happier I am.
1: So well, the impression I'm getting there is that you're somebody who can live with the discomfort of not knowing. Why yeah.
0: are you able to do this? Be, because it gives me a sense that there are a lot of things that, that are much bigger uh, than me, and when I, when I uh, much more important than me, much more universal than just my little world. And it puts things in perspective, I guess. And it also allows, when I can can feel, empathize with a piece of art or actors on a stage or in a film, I feel I'm connected to them and then to the rest of the world in a way that I can't quite put my finger on, but leaves me with a sense of awe
1: let's Did I answer your question <laughs> yeah it's a great answer ray okay okay
0: it's great answer.
1: It's, uh, you know i wonder at your answer and that's the great thing okay let, let me let me just bring it together now uh, towards the end as uh, your legacy you you've you you give the impression to me that you're not finished yet that there is uh, more work to do that uh, and that you have been creating all your life something that may—I think you wanted to live after you. I think you want your life to be of some consequence. So <laughs> the impression I have is that you are an ambitious guy, and you're keen to leave something behind you.
0: Why is that? Because this, the thought of death scares. Doesn't. I, I, I always am angry at, the, at death, the fact that people die. I, I don't understand it. Everything dies. I don't understand the, 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 the strangeness of it. And I realize that it's just because we're human and we have consciousness that we even contemplate it. But the fact that you can be here and then one day be gone as if you were put under permanent anesthesia, is something that just kind of freaks me out, honestly. That as I get older, I, like you say, I find myself thinking about the things that I can do that will keep me around longer after I'm gone. <laughs> so I've actually been thinking about writing a musical. I want to write a musical about... I have a relative who was a an opera singer, but he... He created his own publicity and he sang in uh it was my my great grandmother's brother he 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 rented out Carnegie Hall in New York City and created his own publicity and put on shows yeah it's amazing uh, Lawrence I was to write a musical about this guy and 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 I feel like if I write something maybe maybe it'll do you know it'll be I, it'll be uh you know uh It'll help. It'll be entertaining or whatever for people now. And then also it's on paper and it'll still be here when I'm gone. <laughs> so, you know, you, you
1: realize of course, these, the similarity between your grandmother's brother or whoever it was and uh, Florence Foster Jenkins.
0: Yes. I know. I know. It just, I, I, I have the book. So if someone, there was a woman who wrote a book partly about him and I found her and I talked to her. So I I ordered all the books. I have the books that he's mentioned in. He wrote a book in Italian and she said it was one of the best. And a lot of these, a lot of these opera singers apparently at the time wrote their own, wrote their like autobiographies and published them in Italy. And she said, she told me that his was the most interesting one that she read. But for me to get it, I think I have to go to Florence to the library and, and, and it's probably an Italian, you know, so I'm going to have to probably go to Florence, photocopy the book if they'll let me and then, and then, uh, you know, transcribe it into English, but I'm translated into English. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Florence, Florence Foster Jenkins. Hopefully he was a better singer than that. <laughs> have you, did you see that movie with? I haven't seen the movie with Meryl Streep. I really want to see it. I
1: have um I have the recording of her singing. Oh, it's just horrible! Queen of the Night aria <laughs> in Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Why do you think it's so horrible?
0: Well, I mean, okay. Let me let me let me say. I I I mean, when you compare her technique to 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 yeah. great, you know, artists of the opera. Uh, I mean, obviously she wasn't even close. But I, I, I the story though is so endearing and so wonderful. I I love that. I lo- I love her for that. I love the fact that she did what she wanted to do no matter what and didn't care what people thought, and just plowed forward anyway. You know. I really love that I was more talking about the technique you know her singing technique I mean I mean she didn't even sing in tune really I mean you, you know I mean, that there's... music you know that music don't you
1: yeah right okay let me invite you to uh without any rehearsal just sing a bit of it
0: oh gosh like which one uh
1: the one oh, that God. Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh, I can't
0: Florence think of horrible. anything right now.
1: Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the tune. Okay. okay. I, I do my own imitation of
0: Florence Foster Jenkins. Okay,
1: okay.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So you want me to do it like Florence Foster Jenkins? I want you to do it as Ray Renati. Oh, God, it's going to be horrible. Okay, I'm not a soprano. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: Ray Renati, I have one more thing to ask you to do. All right. I would like you to ask me a question. I'd like to know what is the question you'd like to ask me, and why would you like to know the answer?
0: Oh, okay. What do i want to ask you oh uh, oh boy uh what is your favorite piece of fiction and the reason i want to know is because i think that people's choice of uh fiction is more telling about their personality than 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 a lot of things can be so so what, do you have a like a favorite novel or something that just that you read that just always stays with you?
1: I I, I have a few. This is the uh, difficulty being put on the spot. So let me. I'll get there. I'll get there in a minute. the The competitors are the brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, Middlemarch by George Eliot. Perfume by Patrick Suskind? I'm not sure. The Leopard by Lampedusa. Mm. So the easiest way I have to think about this, Ray, is that if I was going to a desert island, which one of those books would I take with me? Yes. By the way, I also have to throw in Pride and Prejudice.
0: Yeah. I have to include Pride and
1: Prejudice.
0: We should do the Jeopardy tune while while you're thinking.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. Okay, using the the idea that I'm going to go to the desert island and I'm only going to be able to take one book with me, I think I'm going to say The Brothers Karamazov.
0: I think you've told me that before.
1: Oh, thank why goodness for consistency.
0: Yeah, I, I remember you telling me that a couple of years ago. Why, why is that?
1: Well, it contains uh, not just a narrative and an interesting story, but it contains a huge dialogue, a huge philosophical dialogue, if I remember it rightly, about death and God and religion and, you know, big big questions and i i grew up a little like you as a i grew up a very religious person in a roman catholic family in ireland and i did all the things that you know you do uh, you know besides confession and communion i was an altar boy and i took it all very seriously then not to spend too long on it i i stopped being religious and uh, but I've always been really interested in religion will very very feel very comfortable listening to people elaborate their religious views uh, to me and uh, me inquire to learn about them and uh, you know I'm now in the frame of mind in which I believe uh, you know which I I will accept that anything can be believed by human beings anything at all <laughs> yes i agree yeah so the the brothers to me it, it's that philosophical um debate that it took me through as a reader. Now, I read it first when I was quite young as a late teenager, maybe twenty at the at the latest, you know it's always stuck with me well i must say i've I've said to myself, I must read other dostoevsky books but i haven't yeah i'm gonna for it because of its depth of philosophy okay i i have to say that you have been a star of the first ever episode of the interview i can't thank you enough today if 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 a case of champagne arrives please take it in Okay. <laughs> if it doesn't arrive, well, you've been still a fantastic guest. I think you have introduced yourself to other people in a way that your spirit shines through, your love of life shines through, and that I can't think of anybody who wouldn't love to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you.
0: Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Enjoy this. thanks for uh, letting me be number one.
1: One last thing, Ray, and I, I'm, uh, perhaps I should have, uh, yes, I'll do this a little earlier with other people. It may well be that you would be open to somebody contacting you, saying hello to you by some means or other. Is there a way that you would quite like people who listen to this to contact you in any way?
0: Sure. I mean, uh, they could send me an email, I guess. What would be the easiest? Uh, Just rayrenati at gmail.com. R-A-Y-R-E-N-A-T-I at gmail.com. Sounds good to me.
1: Yeah. Ray, I can't thank you enough. This is the end of the very first interview, a historic experience. Thank you very
0: much. You're very welcome, Paul. My pleasure.